Hello and welcome to another ECFR podcast, this time looking at the current round of uh, violence in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories. Um, last week we spoke to an Israeli journalist, Noam Shezaf. Today we're speaking with a Palestinian uh, activist who is also a senior campaigner for Avaz in Palestine. Uh, Time magazine has described him as the new face of the Middle East, and his, uh, his efforts have been mainly focused on how to use nonviolence in international law in order to disrupt the power balance uh, in the region as a means to achieve freedom and peace. Fadi, thanks for joining us. If you could briefly describe, um, from your viewpoint, uh, what has been happening in the West Bank at the moment, away from the cameras, um, especially given your own background uh, in terms of, um, you know, promoting the use of nonviolence, for example, uh, and obviously your involvement in Palestinian civil society. Um, so yeah, what is what is your view of what's happening? At the moment, all across the West Bank, uh, and I would uh, even go to say as far as, uh, you know, within Israel and Nazareth and Lod and uh, different other cities, uh, what we're seeing is a rising amount of tension, uh, particularly among the younger generations who are leading uh, protests uh, in almost all of those locations, uh, not necessarily daily, but at least three, four times a week, uh, you see uh, dozens, uh, if not in some cases, even hundreds of young men going to the key checkpoints or the key places of friction. But I would say uh, that a, a lot of, there's also kind of the sense of, um, there's a mixed sense of fear in that uh, the older generations don't know exactly what's coming, uh, are not getting as involved in the different protests that are happening than the younger generations, whereas the younger generations are largely, uh, you know, really fed up with the situation and really seeking to, uh, you know, try to break out in, in whatever way they could. And I think this comes within the context of truly not just a lot of people, you know, including Ban Ki-moon, have framed it as a loss of hope, but I wouldn't say it's from a loss of hope as much as it is from actually a deep sense of we can change things. Uh, we just don't have the right leaders to do that. And so we want to take things into our own hands. Uh, and I would also add another kind of dimension of this is right now was the olive harvest uh, season. So uh, all across uh, Palestine, you have uh, families and you have different volunteer groups going out together uh, because of the fear of settlers and because of the fear of settler attacks, you know, going out together in large communities uh, to pick the olives. And uh, you can sense uh, the kind of level of, uh, let's say, danger that people feel from the settlers and which people have felt, you know, for the last five years, uh, there have been thousands of settlers attacked. You can sense it right now and how much it's intensified by the fact that no one is going out alone. Uh, people are going out in big groups because they fear these uh, attacks. So uh, let me then ask my second question. Um, when one looks at previous uh, intifadas, I think one of the main uh, characteristics has been this sense of uh, mass 
mobilization within Palestinian society behind those intifadas. Um, you know, perhaps a sense of a, of more of an organizational structure in it, uh, buy-in from the political elites at certain levels. Um, and at the moment, a lot of what we've seen on the Palestinian side in terms of uh, whether it be violence against Israelis or in terms of the clashes themselves uh, with um, Israeli security forces seems to be quite individualistic in nature and uh, more of an emotive reaction. Um, do you think that's a, a fair assessment or are you starting to see more uh, mass mobilization on the Palestinian side? I, I believe if we look uh, at the narrative of uh, you know, Palestinian struggles and their history, approximately for the last about 90 years uh, since parts of the British mandate, approximately every 10 to 15 years, there have been certain what you can call uprisings or what may be called, uh, you know, tiny uprisings, depending on the year. And they've often taken two forms. You know, in some cases, particularly the most recent, let's say, uprisings or intifadas that people remember, uh, the first one and the second one, they did take the, let's say, type of uh, mass mobilization aspect, uh, and they had a very clear leadership uh, to move them forward. But in other examples, particularly in the late 70s, but also in the late 30s and in the late 50s, uh, these kind of uprisings often played a key role in shifting the focus, I would say, of the Palestinian narrative and the shape of the Palestinian struggle, and most importantly, and also laying the ground for the rise of new leaders uh, to replace the older leaders. So here I'm looking, for example, uh, in, the, in 1979, there was a type of uprising, a small, you know, it didn't last more than a few months, but a type of escalation, let's say, like the one we're facing today. And that really shifted the focus where more people joined the Palestinian political parties and there was less association with the Jordanian regime, which was trying, uh, which, sorry, with the, not with the Jordanian regime, but with other efforts, other leaders that Israel was trying to impose on society. I think the difference in this type of, in this current, uh, you know, eruption or escalation is that, number one, it's different from the first intifada in that the Israeli military, as for areas uh, B and C in Jerusalem, is not amongst people. So it's very hard for everyone to get involved because you need to actually try to leave your city uh, if you're in a big city to clash with the Israelis. Inside the cities, uh, you know, the Israelis are not as present as they were in the first intifada. And unlike the second intifada, the political parties, the Fatah, Hamas, the PSLP, or so forth, have completely lost all forms of credibility on the ground. So they're unable to control or even lead what's happening now. And this is partially what's led to the type of individual actions, or even the small group actions, even the protests that, that many of us are seeing right now are protests that are led by, you know, individuals that are not associated with any civil society or political party actors at large. And I think the last thing I would add is this is also indicative of kind of a shift that uh, recent governments of the Palestinian Authority have imposed in, in the type of view or have tried to impose in the sense of kind of individual, individual redemption. 
which is this idea that everyone's their own person and everyone should take care of themselves. And they've tried to impose it in the daily life where, you know, take loans, build your own house, take care of your own family, you know, pursue your own well-being. And I think what we're seeing now is kind of a, you know, group of people who are fighting against that in a way, but also in, because the sense of community has been so fragmented within Palestine, even in fighting against it, some, it has manifested itself in individual action, but for a kind of idea of a communal unity or for the better good. So I suppose, Fadim, the next question that follows on from what you just said is, and I know this is probably a, a difficult one to answer, but ultimately, where do you see what's happening on the ground heading in terms of uh, developments on the ground over the next weeks, months, and perhaps longer term? Do you think this could be the beginning of something more profound? Uh, ultimately, perhaps, are we seeing the beginning of a post-Oslo moment? Or do you think ultimately a lot of this will just revert to the status quo? I mean, in, in the sense of the long term, what is happening now is a sign that the Palestinian people, regardless of what type of policies are imposed on them, whether it's they are by Israel or by the Palestinian Authority, are not going to, you know, be silent as they watch, you know, their homes being destroyed and their land being taken and settlements expanding and their prospects of, you know, freedom and dignity being wiped out of their faces. So I think that in, in the broader view of things, even if this current escalation of this current, you know, tiny uprising, if you want to call it, doesn't last and uh, fizzles out, I think it's a sign of something bigger to come, uh, which is that there's a new generation of Palestinians. Over 70% of the population is under 30 years old. They feel uh, frustrated by the status quo. They want change. And uh, they are looking for the best ways to do that. Uh, sometimes uh, certain ways, certain actions get stuck. You know, they become kind of like Internet memes. If someone tries something and it looks like it worked, or it looks like it, you know, repelled, uh, you know, the occupier, then other people just take it along. As in, you know, they may learn that that doesn't work. But these type of iterations, until there is a type of movement with leadership that creates an all-out uprising that people, the vast majority of people, feel can fulfill their deepest needs, uh, I think that that's the direction that the situation will continue to go in. Uh, you know, in the months and years to come. I think that what that leads to is uh, three different scenarios. There's a scenario where different powers and cooperating with each other, uh, particularly the Palestinian Authority, the Israeli government and military, and maybe the EU and the US, through imposing certain policies, can, for a certain amount of time, uh, let's say, return us to the you know, kind of status quo that existed, which I think shouldn't be termed as a status quo because for Palestinians it's a downward slide in the sense that settlements continue to expand and so forth. Uh, and that is, uh, you know, one scenario that this could eventually lead to. Uh, but I think that the two more likely scenarios is either we go in the direction of uh, an all-out kind of ethnic, I would call it, you know, in, in a sense, ethnic cleansing of Palestinians, where the situation reaches a level of escalation so high that the Israeli military helps the settlers 
or you know lead the settlers in action that uh, you know further increase restrictions on Palestinians and squeeze them into less and less territory at a quicker face uh, and at, in a quicker way. Or we have the scenario where you know a new type of inspired Palestinian leadership arises is capable of organizing uh, you know the people on the ground here throughout historical Palestine and is capable of also inspiring the international community to take the necessary actions needed to achieve freedom, justice, and dignity for the people living in the Holy Land. And I think, uh, you know, those, you know, that's the type of situation that most people around the world are hoping for, you know, uh, that from, from all this despair, from this huge vacuum that exists right now, uh, you know, a new movement arises that achieves what everyone has been seeking. Uh, but I think that, you know, all those scenarios are on the table right now. And uh, it's difficult to tell you which one will be the reality. So I suppose the, the, the last question, which you kind of talked about, you know, where you see the potential for a new leadership to arise at the moment. What do those prospects look like? Um, are we actually now starting to see some leadership emerging at the sort of the, amongst the, the youth that are taking part in what's happening? Or is this still something that has to uh, crystallize over the coming weeks and months? I mean, this is something that will crystallize certainly in the next weeks and months and even years. But what you do see now on the ground, and I think the biggest sign of hope, uh, and something that hasn't been emphasized or highlighted by the media, is that in almost every Palestinian community right now, you have young men and women who are becoming leaders within their uh, small circles and their small communities and are doing their best to not only defend their communities from outside attacks, particularly by the occupation, but also in struggling for a better future. And I think a lot of the protests, if you just look yesterday, look at the last week, you'll see that in over 80 different locations across, you know, historical Palestine, uh, you know, Gaza, uh, Israel, the West Bank, in, a, in over 80 locations there have been actions, and these actions are not being led by any of the traditional political parties or any of the traditional civil society actors even. They are led by these young men and women. Now, they face huge, huge obstacles, uh, obstacles uh, such as Israeli arrests. You know, Israel's arresting, on average, 80 to 100 people every day. Mostly they're arresting the, you know, young leaders who are organizing these different efforts, whether they're community volunteer efforts or protests. They also face the challenges from the existing Palestinian political parties who, of course, don't want a new type of leadership to arise. But I think that, you know, these young men and women, people who are growing through, you know, the, the concrete and the fire that exists all across Palestine right now, are its biggest hope. And I think and uh, believe that everyone around the world should be supporting them in seeking the better future that we all want. So one last very final question. Um, I, it's remarkable that we've, uh, we've been discussing what's happening and I don't think we've made reference once to uh, to President Abbas. Um, so I suppose the final question would be, you know, where does that leave him, his Palestinian authority? Um, 
the the status of the Palestinian liberation movement, and also I suppose you know we see uh, we'll see Secretary Kerry uh, making an appearance very soon in the region and talking once again about um, relaunching or rekindling, in his words, uh, possible peace process. Um, and this is still very much you know, something from the Oslo playbook. Um, so, I mean, very, very quickly, what would your, your thoughts on that be? I mean, um, so th- there are going to be efforts right now, to be honest, on the streets. If you, if you kind of listen to the different locations where there are protests happening, if you, or if you just go to universities across Palestine, uh, one of the key memes has been uh, that the you know the PA doesn't represent us anymore. Uh, we want Abbas to resign. Uh, you probably saw in a recent poll a month ago, two thirds of Palestinian society said that they want Mahmoud Abbas to resign, and he is now for the last six months to a year within Fatah, the president's political party. There has been internal fighting on who's going to replace him. And he's been trying to figure out how he can step out, or even if he's forced to step out, how he can do so with the least amount of losses. Uh, But on the ground, he's becoming more and more irrelevant, except in one place, which is that the Palestinian Authority employs hundreds of thousands of people. And, you know, uh, about all of the West Bank, at least, and even large parts of Gaza depend on it for the economic well-being. So that is the leverage he has. And there's a question right now of what he is going to do to try and, uh, let's say, increase his credibility and uh, rekindle support around his leadership. And so he's going to Geneva this week, and then he's going to The Hague to speak with the prosecutor at the ICC. There's talk about working with the French on a resolution against Israeli settlements. Uh, so he's, he's trying his best to take actions, particularly in the international arena, that would show him as someone who's taking responsibility and leading uh, you know, people towards a better future. But the question of the ability of uh, carry, uh, you know, uh, of bringing back the peace talks, I think that's going to be very difficult now with the situation on the ground and, of course, with the Israeli government's kind of clear position that they're not interested in peace talks to achieve peace. They're interested in peace talks to fill a political vacuum to allow them to continue the status quo, which is managing the conflict and, you know, taking more and more land for settlements. So nobody on the Palestinian side trusts the Israeli government. And I honestly don't think that Kerry or any of the international leaders trust the government either to really put their neck out, uh, you know, to, to, and try to and bring them to the negotiating table. Uh, but it's a question, again, to be seen. And I think, it's, I think if they do succeed in bringing both sides back to the negotiating table, under the same standards that existed in the past, that's only going to do one thing, which is it's only going to add fuel to the fire, and it's only going to make the prospects of a real peace uh, less likely and more violence uh, the status quo. So that's our podcast for today. Uh, If you're interested in more of our work at uh, ECFR, our work on the Middle East, North Africa, and also Israel-Palestine, then feel free to check out our website ecfr.eu forward slash Mena.